Well, this is God's word for you this morning. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. A psalm of David. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and He leads me beside still waters, and He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, Psalm 23 is a very familiar psalm. I know many of you guys know that. It's a, it's a psalm that we hear used a lot at funerals or at national events across our, our country. And I hope it's not a psalm for you like the song Amazing Grace is. What do I mean by that? You know, some of you, you sing Amazing Grace and you're like, oh, I love that hymn and you just can't ever get enough of it and it goes on and on and on and you sing it and it's just a wonderful hymn and for some of you, you're like, oh no, (laughs) Amazing Grace again. We've sung it a million times, not Amazing Grace again. And I hope Psalm 23 for you is not an oh no, not Psalm 23 again. Because this is such a precious psalm. It's such a precious piece of poetry, of lyrical poetry that David gave us, that the Lord uh, put on his heart to write. Uh, And it really does apply to us as his sheep and Christ being our chief shepherd. And so that's what we're going to start with this morning. David starts right off the bat with this amazing proclamation when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And for us to get a real sense of the psalm, we've got to first meet the shepherd. We've got to know who the shepherd is that David's talking about. And David uses this term, this tone, the Lord is my shepherd. He uses this tone right off from the beginning, this, this tone of intimacy. Yahweh, the Lord. And if you look in your Bibles, it should have capitalized the word Lord. Yahweh, the Lord, is my shepherd. Now, if you remember in your Old Testament understanding and, and remembrance, if you go back to the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, you go to Exodus 3, do you remember In Exodus 3, when God told Moses that his name, God was telling Moses, listen Moses, my name is Yahweh, the Lord. And that's shorthand for this. Yahweh is shorthand for I will be present is what I will be. Or another way to put it, Yahweh means, shorthand means, I will be present with my people to be whatever they need me to be for them. Do you remember when when God was talking to Moses and Moses said, Who am I going to tell the Israelites who you are? And he says, tell them that I am. I am Yahweh. I am going to be present with my people and be be to them whatever they need me to be. Well, if you look at most of your English Bibles, when you come to this term Yahweh, obviously it's not translated or written Yahweh in your English Bibles. So what do the English Bible writers do? They translate it as Lord, capital L-O-R-D. So when you see that in your Bibles, like we see this morning in verse 1, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is my shepherd, that, whenever you see that capital L-O-R-D, that is the personal name of God being used there. Yahweh, the Lord, large caps. And when you see that in your Bibles, that means that it's the personal covenant name of God. God's covenant personal name is behind that Lord, L-O-R-D. Now, I don't know about you folks, especially you husbands, when you're together with a friend and you're talking about your wife, not gossiping about your wife, but you're just you know, telling a little bit about your wife or what's going on. And you don't, I hope you husbands don't address your wife as the wife. Guys, let me give you a kiss. If you're not married, don't ever 
when you get married, call her the wife. As in, yeah, the wife asked me to come home and work on the honeydew list. Or the wife went shopping for shoes. You just don't do that, okay? You don't do that. And that's probably not going to fare well for you if you do do that. And then your wife finds out about that. And you've addressed her as the wife, right? Now, I would say Presley Ann has gone shopping for shoes. That's my wife's name. You know, I call Presley Ann Presley Ann. I don't call her the wife when I'm talking about her with someone because it's her name. I call her Presley Ann. Same thing here. David says, not the Lord. Like, huh? He's saying, he's using Yahweh's personal name. It's Yahweh, my God. He's my shepherd. And he gives this this beautiful picture, this term of intimacy. Yahweh, the Lord, is my shepherd, okay? And another thing that we're going to see is this psalm is a beautiful picture of Jesus. This psalm is a beautiful picture of Christ. And so that's my hope this morning is that Psalm 23, we're going to look at Psalm 23 in the light of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see four ways I hope that this psalm describes Jesus as our chief shepherd and we as his sheep. So four things. First thing we're going to see this morning is we're going to find, I hope in Psalm 23 we'll see the daily competence, competence that we find in Christ. Well, the first few verses it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want it right. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The sense of those first few verses is not so much on the sheep going and finding these nice grassy green pastures to eat from and finding these waters of rest. But the picture here in the first few verses is the sheep stretching out after they've eaten a great meal of green grass. And they're stretching out and resting because they are satisfied. It's almost like after Thanksgiving lunch, right? What do you do? I mean, you stretch out, right? You're satisfied. Maybe you ate too much. You're laying out on the couch going, oh, the tryptophan's kicking in, right? It's that kind of that picture here of the sheep... They are satisfied. They are stretching out after they are satisfied. And it's interesting that the Lord led David to use the sheep and shepherd imagery to describe people, specifically to describe God's people. I think he was spot on when he used sheep as this metaphor of describing God's people. Because sheep, I don't know if you know this, and I'm not a farmer per se, but sheep are some of the neediest animals there are. You know, we have a dozen chickens at our house. I'll tell you, chickens are easy pets, right? They really are. You, you feed them, you give them water, and you pretty much just leave them to themselves. They pretty much take care of themselves. But sheep aren't like that. Sheep are very needy animals. They, they, they don't just take care of themselves. There's a great little book that I read in, in thinking about this psalm and just meditating and preparing for this sermon. It's a book by, actually Steve Knox loaned it to me. It's a great book by Philip Keller called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. Oh my goodness, what a treasure of a book. Let me just plug that book. If you want a great, encouraging, devotional book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. He was an actual professional shepherd. And so as a layman and a believer, he's telling you his view of Psalm 23 as an actual professional shepherd. But according to Keller, uh, the sheep are one one of the livestock that require the most meticulous care and endless attention. And here's what he says about sheep. Get this. He says, it's no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is very similar in many ways. Our mass mind or our mob instincts, like sheep have, humans have, our fears, our timidity, our stubbornness, and our stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance between sheep and humans, sheep and people. So David tells us here, and I pray that you'll know this by experience, that the shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
leads us on paths which he knows are the right ones for us. And notice what David says. He leads us in paths of righteousness for whose name's sake? David says, for his name's sake, for Yahweh, the Lord's name's sake. And notice he doesn't put the sheep, the sheep's namesakes. He doesn't put the sheep as primary importance here, but he says he leads to gracious pasture and water for his name's sake. Now, why does David say that? Well, he does this on account because of his name, the Lord, covenant God, Yahweh, the Lord has a reputation to maintain. And he must show that he is the shepherd, all the shepherd that he could possibly be to his sheep. That he knows how to refresh his flock. And he knows, the chief shepherd, he knows how and where to lead his sheep. And I learned in my studies this week that sheep are, sh- are strange creatures. And that they refuse to, be, to lie down and rest until four requirements are met. See if this sounds like you as people. Four requirements that have to be met in order for sheep to lie down and really be able to rest. And this is from Philip Keller's book, uh, A Shepherd's Look, at uh, Psalm 23. He says, First of all, sheep are very timid. And so they refuse to lie down unless they are free from fear, he says. Second thing he observed is because sheep are very social animals, they have a flock mentality. There's a pecking order among sheep, right? That they will not lie down and rest until they are free from friction with each other in the flock. Isn't that crazy? Even a sheep, there's drama. Isn't that interesting? Third point, he says, uh, if they are tormented by flies or parasites, only when free from pests will the sheep lie down. And then lastly, they will not lie down as long as they feel like they're in need of finding food. The sheep must be free from hunger. Sounds like a lot like us, doesn't it? You know? We're, we, don't, we don't rest when we're really afraid. You know, when, we're, when there's drama in the group, we don't really rest. When you're tormented by parasites, tormented by the worldly cares, you can't rest. And when you're hungry... I mean, I eat a bowl of cereal every night. <laughs> I can't sleep. When you're hungry, you have to be free from hunger in order to rest. Uh, sounds like a lot like us, right? And, and, and the shepherd himself, the chief shepherd, the shepherd here leading his sheep is the only one who can provide a release from these sheep's anxieties. And it depends upon the shepherd's leadership. That's why David says, he restores me, he leads me for his name's sake. W.M. Thompson, he was a 19th century missionary and traveler, and he was traveling in Lebanon, and he spent some time with shepherds, and he observed something very interesting. It, it snowed a lot in that area where he was. And in the wintertime, you know, the sheep, when the snow came, the sheep really didn't have anything to eat, and so he would observe that these shepherds would spend most of their day up in the trees, climbing up in these trees with primitive equipment, cutting down branches and bringing them down on the ground so that the sheep can feed on the green leaves and the tender twigs and that's such a cool picture right of how christ our chief shepherd supplies our day-to-day needs and that says a lot about our shepherd doesn't it you know this is the bread and butter work if you will of the shepherd that he provides for his flocks ongoing day in and day out needs of pasture and water of leading them of taking care of them of, of caring for them and isn't that where we as sheep christ sheep spend most of our time you know, I know many of us face severe trials. Many of us are struggling with some pretty serious things in your life. But most of all, ordinary day-in, day-out stuff, most of us don't face difficulties just every single day of our life. And so David's kind of talking about the day-in and day-out ordinariness of life here. You know, most of us don't live in deep tension and distress every moment of the day. 
often, right, we live our lives kind of in the realm of the ordinary and the routine, don't we? School, work, homework, kids, tests, friendships, appointments, bills, right? Errands, grocery shopping, routine, right? And we just simply get tired and weary from the day in and the day out. And we suffer from wear and tear. And sometimes we are spiritually weary and exhausted. And yet Jesus, our shepherd, is more than adequate to meet our needs every day. Who again restores my life again and again every day. And we as Christians, we as believers, need to learn to walk with Jesus here in the daily grind of life. So here's the question David almost gives you here in the first few verses. Have you learned to enjoy? Have you learned to rest? Are you learning to rest in Christ's day-to-day competence that He meets your needs daily? That He restores you? That He meets you? You see, I pray that you don't just love Jesus because you, He meets you in the severe and testing times of your life, but that He also meets you, right, in the faithful, common times of your life that He will be at work for us on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday, day after day, when nothing crazy or dramatic is happening in your life. I love what Psalm 68 so wonderfully says. It's the Lord, it's Yahweh who daily bears us up. It's, it's Yahweh, the Lord, who daily bears us up. The second thing we see this morning is the place of Christ's clear presence. The place of Christ's clear presence. Verse 4, what does He say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we come to the place in this psalm that many of us are all too familiar with, the valley of the shadow of death. Now what does David mean? Ever wondered, what does he mean when he says the valley of the shadow of death? Well, David, being a shepherd, you know, he was a shepherd before he became king. That's what he did as a a living. His family did as a living. David would have to lead his sheep from the Judean hills from the place where they were to the other place on top of the hills where he wanted, wanted them to be, the place of safety, the place of green grass. And in order for David to get his sheep from this place to the place of safety at the top of these hills, he had to lead the sheep through a valley. Steep canyons, these rivers or these wadis would, would, would come through and cut down through that rock in these steep canyons. And David would have to lead his sheep through this area in order to get him on top of the Judean hills. Philip Keller, who again wrote that book, A Shepherd Looks, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, gives us some insight. Listen to what he says about this passage. He says, With ordinary sheep management, and so with God's people, one only gains higher ground by climbing up through the valleys. Every mountain, he says, has its valley, and its sides are scarred by deep ravines and gulches and draws. And the best route to the top is always along and through these valleys. And the problem with the valleys is predators. I don't know, but, you know, if you're going through a valley, I used to take uh, kids hiking down in a place called Limble Gorge in North Carolina, and it's called the Grand Canyon of the East. I mean, it's nothing compared to the Grand Canyon, but there are sheer granite cliffs a thousand feet tall. And you're literally walking between these sheer granite cliffs. There's no way if you were a shepherd herding your sheep through an area like that, these sheep are going to be able to escape, Right? You can only go forwards or backwards. There really is no escape. And so that's the picture here that David is leading the sheep through the valley and there are predators. There are mountain lions and cougars and lions and tigers and bears, oh my, right? Waiting to pounce and take out one of the sheep, right? 
And so the shepherd knows, and, and the shepherd knows as he's leading his sheep through this valley that there are ravaged remains of other sheep that didn't make it, right? And so when David prays that the Lord would lead him through these valleys, he admits that these valleys, in fact, are covered with shadows. Derek Kidner says this, he says that, through, that though the valley of shadow of death is also one of the paths of righteous, righteousness that the shepherd leads us through, that even that path, the valley of the shadow of death, is one of the paths of righteousness that the shepherd, the great shepherd Christ, leads us through. And it's interesting that though in all of the scariness of this place, David says, I fear no disaster, I fear no evil. And there's no floodlights in this place, right? There's no lighted path through this valley of darkness. There's no river walk and nice boardwalk laid out with solar lights. But David says, the reason I'm not afraid is you are with me, he says. You are with me. And David's sliding us a little bit here. Notice this. If you notice in the first three verses, how does David refer to the Lord? How does he refer to Yahweh? He's, refer, he, he, he's referred to the Lord in the first three verses with the third person pronoun, right? He, he, he. He leads me. He guides me. He restores my soul. You see that? He, 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 right? But notice the change in pronouns when you get to verse 4. Instead of he, 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 what does he say in verse 4? What's the pronoun? You, right? It's you. It's not he, 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 but it's, it's you. So if you look at the change of pronouns from the first three verses to verse 4, in the first three verses, David the shepherd is speaking to you, right? But when you get to verse 4, David's kind of snubbing us a little bit. He turns away from us, and he begins to speak to you, the chief shepherd. And notice the intimacy here. He's speaking to the Lord directly, intimately. He says, you are with me, Lord. You are are with me. And he's not speaking to the Lord in such enemy like this when he's all rested up and he's, he's eating grass and he's resting like a sheep. No. He's speaking. He's addressing, you are with me. He's addressing the Lord like that in the midst of the distress and darkness of the valley, right? In verse 4. Now why does this matter? Why does this matter to us? Well, it, it's as though the trouble in the valley drives David closer to the shepherd. And it brings a deeper intimacy. And that trouble brings a deeper relationship with the Lord, the chief shepherd. You know, I imagine that many of us have found that to be true, haven't we, in our own lives? That Jesus is so, or at least feels like He's so often closer to us in the valley when times are hard, right? But I think in reality, it's not that Jesus is ever closer to us in the valleys, but I think in the valleys we realize, in the valleys, how close He's always been to us, haven't we? And not only do we often see Jesus clear in the presence of the valleys, but we see His presence even stronger in the valleys as well. David tells us what the toolkit is for the shepherd, right? What does he say here? He says the shepherd carries in his toolkit the rod and the staff, right? And so what does that say to us, the rod and the staff that comfort me? Well, one of the reasons the rod and the staff comfort David one of the reasons a rod and a staff would comfort the sheep is because those tools, the rod and the staff, are tokens of a shepherd's presence, right? You see those tools, a man carrying those tools, the sheep must realize, oh, okay, that's, that's the shepherd. That's his presence. It's kind of like a carpenter when he shows up with a tape and a saw and a, uh, a tape measure, a saw and a carpenter square. It shows you that a carpenter's near, right? And these are the tools that the shepherd uses to guide and correct and protect the sheep. 
What is the staff used for? The staff, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, but the staff is used to guide and control the, the flock. What is the club used for by the shepherd? It's used to beat the daylights out of the sheep's enemies, right? That's what it's used for. You see, you need to remember that a shepherd's work is, is hard. It's not this pristine, like, pastoral picture where there's a harp in the background and birds chirping and everything's kosher. No. These shepherds were rough and tumble guys. In Charles Spurgeon's uh, Treasury of David, he describes what a 19th century shepherd was like that he spent some time with in the Northlands of Jordan. Listen to what he says. He says, The shepherds themselves had none of the peaceful and placid aspect that was generally associated with pastoral life and habits. No, he says, the shepherds looked like warriors marching to the battlefield. They had a long gun sling slinging, slung from their shoulder, a dagger and heavy pistols in the belt, almost like banditos, a little battle axe or iron club in his hand, and such were their equipment. And he said their fierce flashing eyes and scowling countenances showed too plainly that they were prepared to use their weapons at any moment what he says about the shepherds think about that in relation to our relation to jesus as chief shepherd jesus is our shepherd he's not this emaciated weakling who gets sand kicked on him at the beach right no he's a warrior exodus uh, 15 says the lord is a warrior the lord is his name jesus is a warrior he is our chief shepherd he is a warrior as shepherd should be and what does he say in john 10 because he's a warrior no one can snatch the sheep out of his hand, he says. See, beloved, the muscles of Jesus are flexed. Seriously. The muscles of Jesus are flexed. And he is ready to defend his flock. He's ready to defend you from the onslaughts of the enemy. He's ready even to defend you from yourself. Because he doesn't just protect the flock but he even directs the flock. That's what his staff is used for. Any good shepherd with a salt would have a staff, and he uses that staff to direct the sheep, to pull the sheep back when they're wandering, to push them towards somewhere else that they need to go. He not only protects his flock, but he directs his flock. And sometimes he has to use the staff of his word to direct us, right? To discipline us. You know what Hebrews 12 says? writer of Hebrews says this. He says, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? And then he goes on to say this. He says, my son, my daughter, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when God rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the sons and the daughters that he loves. And he chastens everyone that he accepts as his son or daughter. My old pastor, Sinclair Ferguson, when I was meeting with him and going through a particularly tough time in my life and the Lord was disciplining me, you know, I was going to him, you know, asking, trying to get some sympathy here. Oh, it's going to be okay, Stephen. You know what he said to me instead? Kiss the rod, Stephen. Kiss the rod. I was like, oh, thanks a lot. What did he mean by that? It's an old English saying. I had to look it up. Kiss the rod. It's an old English expression that means to submit to your master. Kiss the rod. Kiss the rod of discipline. Kiss the shepherd's staff because he loves you. I want to show you a picture. I wish, again, this is our fancy PowerPoint system here at Wellspring. Here we have Shrek the sheep. It's his name, really. 
Shrek the sheep. I don't know if kids, you can see this. But it's a big old fat sheep. Can you see that? I mean, it's kind of a long way away. But here is Shrek the sheep. Let me tell you about Shrek the sheep and his story. Shrek the sheep was missing from his shepherd in the flock for six years. You want to know where Shrek the sheep was hiding? He was hiding in a cave by himself for six years. And his shepherd found him. Really cool. His shepherd for six years looked for Shrek the sheep. Now Shrek the sheep looks really fat. He is. He had 60 pounds of wool. Now to to give you a picture, most sheep average about 10 pounds after they're sheared of wool. Some extraordinary sheep will produce 15 pounds after being sheared. Shrek was gone for six years. He was a naughty sheep, right? Gone for six years, right? His shepherd finally, it's a true story in New Zealand. You can look it up. Type in Shrek the sheep. It's a fascinating story. It really is. His, his shepherd found him, brought him back home, and had him sheared, right? And it weighed 60 pounds, 60 pounds worth of, of wool. And all it took was Shrek coming home to his shepherd and submitting to him. And I believe that that's true of us as sheep. We're so dumb sometimes. And we wander and we carry these burdens and we hide from the Lord and we try to hide out and we think everything's going fine and we're just getting nastier and fatter and blah. And we, if we stop hiding and we come back, we return to the shepherd and he, we're brought back by the good shepherd and he shears us and all of a sudden those burdens gone. What does Jesus say in Matthew 11? Come to me, he says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, and I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, quickly, the third thing we see is this unstoppable provision that we find in Christ. I don't know about you, but it doesn't. T- the older I get, it, it, it doesn't take much to disturb me and disturb the peace when I'm eating. You know what I'm saying? Like Presley Ann, my wife, does such a great job as a mom of, of, of arranging it in the evening so that we can eat together as a family. She's very good at corralling our family, including me, and bringing us together to eat together as a family almost every night around our house. But you know, it's not always peaceful when you have twin three-year-olds at the dinner table. I'm just telling you. I love Joel and Ellie. We love our twins, but it's just not always peaceful with twin three-year-olds, right? You know, they're pooped. Uh, they drop macaroni on the floor, and, and life's a tragedy, right? And so it's hard to relax. Imagine what the shepherd, when he's leading his hungry sheep through the valleys. You know, they're not going to stop midway in the journey for a little light snack, are they? They're not going to lie down in peace and chew their cud because they're enemies around them, like David says here in verse 5. How could the sheep stop for a little snack? But here's the neat thing about verse 5. See, verse 5 doesn't leave room for fast food. But instead, what does David say? Lord, you prepare a table for me right in front in the presence of my enemies. See, here's a meal that the Lord prepares in front of his enemies that's leisurely. What does he say? You prepared a table. Multiple courses and trimmings. All the settings. All the utensils. It's a leisurely meal. Then he says, it's a meal that's festive. You have anointed my head with oil. And then he says that it's a meal that's satisfying. What does he say? My cup runs over. Here is this meal that God has set in front of David's enemies. And we don't ultimately know the background to this story. Probably comes from 2 Samuel when David is fleeing from his son Absalom. You remember that? Absalom 
takes control momentarily of the throne and goes after his father David to kill him. So David is fleeing from his enemies. He arrives in this place where three of his friends show up with grain and honey and cheese and provisions and sets this table before David and his men. And right across the river where he's eating this meal is his son Absalom preparing and mounting an attack on him. That's, I think, the picture here. Verse 5 is clear that when danger is near, the Lord still sustains you. When danger is near, the Lord can sustain his servant, you. Just like David when he's sitting here eating in front of his enemies and his enemies are forced to witness the enjoyment of this meal and they're not able to disturb it. Charles Spurgeon tells this story of a, a minister who was escaping from his persecutors. And so he was running away from these soldiers. He runs into this barn and there's a hayloft in the top of the barn. So the minister literally dives into this hayloft, hiding from these soldiers. The soldiers come into the barn. They're thrusting their swords and their bayonets into the hay trying to find this minister. And unfortunately, the minister's foot was nicked with one of the blades. But ultimately, he was undiscovered. After this, a hen came and, and laid an egg every morning by this minister as he was hiding in the hay. And so Spurgeon goes on to say that he was sustained as well as he preserved and was preserved until it was safe for him to leave his hiding place. Kind of that's the picture here in verse 5. You're sustained. Even in the pres- presence of the enemies around you, the Lord sustains you. So you've got to ask yourself this question. Listen. Listen. If Jesus can sustain and uphold you, even in the presence of your enemies, then really is there any circumstance where Christ cannot or will not sustain you? Think about verse 5 in that light. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we did this last week, when we celebrate communion, when you take that bread, when you take that sacrament, that means of grace, that sign of promise to you, It's as if Jesus is coming to you saying, as this bread sustains your physical body, so I, as your crucified and risen Savior, will never stop sustaining you. Preach that to yourself next time we observe the Lord's Supper. Christ telling you, whispering to you, Beloved, I will never, ever stop sustaining you, no matter what the circumstances are. Well, quickly, lastly, the fourth thing we see here is this abiding rest that we find in Christ. He closes this beautiful poem with this amazing promise. What does he say? Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me, follow me all the days of my life, and I will forever dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Quickly, two things I want to see. The first part here is a beautiful picture in the first part of verse 6. Look what he says in verse 6. Surely, goodness and mercy shall what? Follow me. Focus in on that word follow. Most of our English versions translate verse 6, that word follow. But I think it's too tame of a translation. In fact, many scholars believe that it really should be translated as pursue. So instead of surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, it should be translated surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me. Now this is a real common verb that you see in the Old Testament. And it means to pursue like someone chasing their enemies. It's used when Pharaoh is chasing the Israelites through the Red Sea. It's Pharaoh pursued, not just followed, like, oh, gee, there they are. It was pursuing in pursuit of the Israelites. So David here puts this playful spin on the word and says, God's goodness and mercy shall pursue me. So what will pursue him? David says, surely God's faithful love will pursue me. So it's almost like David is saying that the Lord has sent two special agents, secret agents, spies, pursue David 
Who are those two special agents? Goodness and faithful love. Tav and Hesed. Goodness, Hebrew word Tav. Hesed, God's faithful love. So read it like that. God has sent His special agents, goodness and faithful love, to pursue me all the days of my life. And then there's this phrase, all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word forever is really translated literally, length of days. So God's agents, special agents of goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the length of my days. That's the literal translation of verse 6. See, David's kicking, up, kicking it up a notch here, a la Emeril Lagasse, right? My length of day, days literally means something beyond all the days of my life. Now, forever is not a bad translation here. In fact, I like with the New Jerusalem, how it translates it. It says, for all time to come, God's goodness shall pursue me. God's said covenant love will pursue me from all time, for all time to come. You see, Psalm 23, the sheep have a destination. The shepherd has a destination in mind when he leads his sheep. And he's saying the destination is his house, his home. You know, the sheep, Shrek the sheep, his home was a cave for six years. But his shepherd came and found him and brought him back to the real destination, home. You see, the Lord as your chief shepherd, Jesus as your chief shepherd, has a destination in mind for you. He really does. Life here is not as you know it. Life here is not it. God has a destination for you, beloved. Every single one of us has a destination. And Jesus is the only shepherd who can safely allow you, bring you through to arrive at that destination home. Jesus is the only one who can safely take you into eternity. Folks, every single one of us is an eternal soul. Every single one of us has an eternal soul. Life you're 40, 60, 80, 90 years, if the Lord blesses your life that long, is not it. Every single one of us has eternity written within our hearts. You have an eternal soul, and Jesus is the only one who can safely lead you into eternity. So what do we see here as we end this psalm? As you look back over this journey of your life as a sheep, you see, the grassy pastures may be the normal place in your life. The valley of the shadows of death may be the fearful place for you in your life. Being in front of your enemies is the dangerous place in your life, but yet the house of Yahweh can be the abiding place of your life. And Jesus can lead you through them all. So we've got to go back to the beginning. As we end this morning, we go back to the beginning. Where are you this morning? I end this sermon with this question. Where are you this morning? Who is your shepherd? Who is leading you? Are you leading yourself through this life? Or are you submitting to the shepherd? Submitting to his staff? Letting him protect you? Letting him meet your needs? Instead of resisting his leadership? Resisting him? Hiding out in a cave thinking, oh, this is great, I love the cave. And you're by yourself getting fatter and fatter. And mangier and mangier. See, only if the Lord Jesus Christ is your shepherd can you say, I will never lack anything. In the ordinary times, in the fearful times, in the dangerous times, and indeed, in the last times. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that, Lord, you are our shepherd. 
thank you that you gave us this, this um, pastoral animal imagery of sheep and that that's what we are. We're not, I mean, I think we'd like to think, oh, why didn't David say we're like lions or tigers? Top of the food chain, predators. We're not. It's interesting, actually, that, Lord, you, you gave us the imagery of the sheep. And then you gave the imagery of our enemy, uh, the enemy of, of every believer, the enemy of God who is going to be vanquished. But you said that Satan is like a devouring lion who wants to devour his prey. Thank you, Lord, that we are sheep and that you're the only one, our chief shepherd, who can protect us from the enemy. And uh, Lord, you uh, even said that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And thank you that Revelation says that in the end of times, there will be this great Lamb who is stained with the blood who will be our chief protector, chief shepherd, and we will come under that rest and rescue of that lamb. So Lord, I pray that we would turn to you, the lamb of God. We would turn to you, the chief shepherd. And that we would know that you are the, the lover of our souls. And that we're the, you are the only one where we can come and find forgiveness and rest. So Lord, help us to trust you. I pray that if there be anyone here today who doesn't know you, who is rebelling against that shepherd, has really shrek the sheep, I pray that they would come back to their shepherd, the shepherd of their souls, Jesus. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand and worship.